This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Good morning. It's Sterling Fox in for the vacationing Jill Bennett. Nice to be with you this chilly Sunday morning. Nice day in store for us. Just uh, taking a while to warm up. It is 7.06 and it's time to check in with Jerry Nichols. Mr. Nichols is a communications consultant, a columnist with the Hill Times and a number of other publications, and a frequent guest on those political-type TV shows. Jerry, good morning. Good morning, Sterling. How you doing? I am very well, thank you. Mr. Nichols, friends, is also the sole proprietor of jerrynichols.com. And if you poke around his website, you, you find a thing that says, here's what Jerry can do for you. And one of the things is uh, that he can do is employ polling data to plan media campaigns and tactical messaging. And I wonder what your advice would be to the Liberal Party of Canada this morning, Jerry, in the wake of a poll that came out just a day or two ago that said, we're an election to be held, oh, now the Liberals would lose by 5%. Yeah, I think that poll probably stunned liberal land a lot because this is, I mean, when, when was the last time, you know, Justin Trudeau trailed in a, trailed in a poll? Mm-hmm. You know, he's been kind of soaring, you know, like an eagle for the last three years. And so this is probably quite a stunning uh, uh, situation uh, for, the, for Team Trudeau. And I think a lot of it is probably just a, a reaction to his disastrous India trip. I agree. I mean, the thing failed so spectacularly on so many levels. Um, it just made Trudeau look bad. It made him look like a laughing stock. It was it was just terrible. So this could, you know, this might be part of a trend, or it could be just this one little incident where where Trudeau just looked bad, and people had that in their minds when they were answering this poll question. So I, I suppose, though, Jerry, the problem is complicated by the fact that he looked bad and then came back, found somebody uh, in in the back rooms to, to come out and uh, uh, allege that this was sabotage on the part of the government of the country he was visiting. And so this thing hasn't unraveled, hasn't gone away, and if anything, just gets stickier. It's it's the never-ending story, you know, for for the liberals, and they have really no one to blame but themselves for how this has kind of evolved. I mean, the problem was, you know, they tried to spin the media, or at least it appears looked like, like they tried to spin the media by coming up with this sort of conspiracy theory that this was all the Indian, rogue elements in the Lind- Indian government yeah. trying to make Trudeau look bad, which, on the, you know, it might be true, but in the face of it, it looks ridiculous. That's point one. And point two is that in trying to spin away this story with this conspiracy theory, they just spawned a whole bunch of new questions. You know, who was this unnamed government official? Why would the Indian government want to embarrass Trudeau? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are so many questions involved in this, and they, what, what they've essentially done, Sterling, is taking a, taken a blunder and turned it into a mystery. And, the, you know, the media, being a curious lot, feels compelled to solve these mysteries. This is why they're starting to go after the liberal government looking for answers, sure. uh, there is, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Ralph Goodell, mm-hmm. who is usually one of the, the most media savvy people in, in, in the Liberal Party. He got caught up in a scrum the other day. He looked like a wounded lamb being torn apart by a pack of hungry, hungry wolves. He was positively sputtering, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, it looked terrible. So, you know, what what can you do to advise them? Well, I would say go back in time and don't do this stupid thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but, you know, that's that's out of the question. So I think all they all they can do right now is is start trying to provide real answers to this because right now they haven't been writing answers and it's just making them look worse and worse and it's just going to make the story linger.
Yeah, and, and uh, again, part of the same polling package, and you referenced the India trip, uh, the the whole outcome has left a bad aftertaste, a negative impact on a majority of the people the pollsters talk to. Well, that's, you know, that's not surprising. I mean, at a bare minimum, when you're going to a foreign country, what you want to do is, is, is create better relations with another country. This one seemed to do the exact opposite. I mean, Canadian-Indian relations seem to be, you know, sinking fast as a result of this trip. And I think if one thing people want in leadership is competence. And so if it looks like their leader is acting in an incompetent manner, if it looks like he's doing something that just on the face of it seems stupid, people are going to say, you know what, he's not a leader, or I'm disillusioned with his leadership, or this is not the kind of leadership I was hoping for. Yeah. So all these things are hurting Trudeau right now, and I think that's reflected in this poll. The good news for the Liberals is that the election's not for another year exactly. or so away. So we've got a lot of time to turn things around. And I think another part of the good news for the Liberals remains Andrew Scheer. I don't know, Jerry, that he has the, the bite necessary to chomp down when required to do the job he's supposed to do, which has become the next PM. He seems to lack uh, aggressiveness. Um, he seems to sort of lack that, that sort of attack dog mentality yeah. that you kind of have to have if you're an opposition leader. Uh, it, it's almost like he doesn't want to take power he wants to assume power if you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh, he's kind of hoping that if people get tired of trudeau or get angry at trudeau that you know that they will say, oh well we'll go with the boring guy right, right. default um, is not a great position to take in terms of a, a, a lead position to to convince a country to vote for you and and the position is that, that that i understand he's taken so far is basically i'm not stephen harper and i have the dimples to prove it and that's about all i've heard so far well his whole you know his whole persona has been one of dullness right and 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 in fact this is this is the conservatives have made kind of a tactical communication decision to make this his bit. Right. Um, they they run TV ads saying, you know, have him walking down up, up you know, in a suburban park. You know, hey, hi, hi, hey, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. Talking to people, and he's trying to say, look, I'm I'm boring, but boring is better than sort of glitzy celebrity Justin Trudeau. Now I, I can see the theory behind that, but my sense is that when voters are looking to be who's, a, who's going to be the next prime minister, what does they want is a leader. So I think what Andrew Scheer has to do is say, I'm a leader. I'm a guy that can represent Canada. I'm an adult, unlike, you know, the childlike Trudeau. I can get things done. I think he's got to sort of start promoting that, and I think he's got to be more aggressive in getting his message out. Interesting. I couldn't agree with you more. Jerry, I need to take a quick break here. Stick around for a couple of minutes, because one big political scene that's unfolding literally as we speak this weekend is the Ontario Progressive Conservative leadership race. And while it's a sort of a spectator sport from this distance in British Columbia, it's quite a show. Jerry Nichols uh, on the line from Toronto this morning, and we'll talk more about the Ontario leadership race. Uh, Who's going to throw out Kathleen Wynne later in the summer, and also mutiny aboard the good ship Bloc Québécois. We're in conversation with communications consultant Jerry Nichols, joining us from Toronto, where, of course, uh, this weekend, a lot of voters, and across Ontario as well, are speculating, and indeed some participating, in the race or in the voting process to determine the next leader of the Progressive Conservative Party in Canada's largest province, where Kathleen Wynne and Dalton McGuinty have dominated 
dominated provincial politics, Jerry, very much like Christy Clark and Gordon Campbell dominated politics here in B.C. A long, long reign with a lot of room to make some pretty big mistakes. A lot of Ontarians figure no matter who succeeds, it's wins time to go. So tell us about who the likely successor from your corner is going to be. Well, first of all, Sterling, let me say that the, you called it a show, the PC leadership race. I did. I think that's really an understatement. I mean, this has been the most entertaining, most spectacular, most amazing piece of political theater in Canadian history, in that world history. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. Um, it's been a lot of fun. There's been a lot of twists and turns and plot twists and all that kind of stuff. But at the end, which, which really makes it kind of difficult to predict who's going to come out on top of mm-hmm. this thing. But my sense is that of all the candidates in the race, the one with the clearest path to victory is, is Christine Elliott. Okay, now Christine Elliott, for the benefit of those who aren't too familiar, is, a, is she is a sitting MPP in the Ontario legislature at Queen's Park. She is also the wife of former Canadian Finance Minister uh, Jim Flaherty, uh, the, the widow, as it turns out now. But she is the only of the group, including Rob Ford's brother Doug, uh, Brian Mulroney's daughter Caroline, and uh, social conservative activist Tanya Granick-Allen. Christine Elliott, Jerry, is the only one with actual legislative experience, and if you're going to knock off a long city sitting premier you better have some let me correct you sterling she's not a sitting mpp right now um oh that's right she she that's right she had taken a job from the from the government uh in a a commission situation right but she is a former mpp correct she is the only one of the people currently in the race who has anything you know resembling uh legislative experience right and that kind of gives her i think the edge in this race because you know you don't call them conservatives or nothing. You know, progressive conservatives tend to be conservative people. And I think if, if they look at this race, they're going to say, here we have a, cho- a, sh- a finally a shot to take down the liberals. Do we want to hand it over to Carol Maroney, who has a lot of assets as a politician, mm-hmm. but lacks, lacks that experience? Do we want to give her over to, to, to uh, Doug Ford, who is kind of a fiery populist and kind of a wild card? We don't really know what to expect from him. So I think when they finally come down to it, and they'll, they'll take the safe choice. And the safe choice is Elliot, precisely because she ha- at least can say, I have that experience. Now, do I have a lot of confidence in this prediction? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say. I mean, a, a lot of people are saying it's a race between Ford and Elliot. Um, I think what's holding back Ford is that he's kind of an outsider in this party, um, if he had more time to kind of enlist the what I call the Ford Nation legions in Ontario, he might have a better chance of of, of winning this race. Um, but I think I think if, I, if you force me to pick somebody, I'd say Elliot. Okay, so next weekend we'll know. At the, I believe the the uh, decision will be announced next Saturday. Is that not, not the case, Jerry? That is correct. Okay, so one more week of suspense. Oh, uh, uh, a mutiny aboard the good ship Block Quebecois. The leader is a sitting MNA, that is a legislative, uh, like we call them MLAs in B.C. She's in the provincial legislature in Quebec City leading a federal party in Ottawa that is increasingly displeased with her act to the point where 70% of her caucus took a hike. Yeah, I mean, has this been the craziest year in Canadian politics or what? Mm-hmm. And it's only February. I know. I mean, first of all, we have, you know, we, 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 this hasn't really been getting a lot of attention, but we have socialists in British Columbia battling socialists in Alberta, mm-hmm. 
you know, we have Justin Trudeau's trip to India. We have the, the PC meltdown. And, and it's almost as if the bloc was saying, hey, we want some attention, too. So we're going to do something, you know, totally insane. Um, you know, 7, 70% of the, of the caucus resigns. Um, you know, I, I'm no, I don't know a lot about Quebec politics. It would be kind of murky. But I think the, I think the bloc you know, and, and is really trying to, you know, find an identity for itself. And I think this is part of the problem they're facing right now is they don't know who they are, they don't know what they're about, and so this, these kinds of things can result in that when you, when you lack the kind of leadership that, that I think this party needs right now. And while at the leader is a hardcore separatist, that is her whole mission in life. She wants a separate, independent Quebec full stop and is extremely discouraged at her colleagues in Ottawa, who of course are living off Canadian taxpayers quite handsomely, thank you very much, and aren't particularly interested in separating from anything anymore. Well, this is, this is again, this is the inner, you know, sort of the inter-contradiction of, of the bloc. Um, they're, in theory, they're a socialist party, and, you know, some people in the party take that, that theory very seriously, and there are other ones who, this, who, who see it as a way to get elected. And, you know, they, they want a job in Ottawa. They want to keep the perks in Ottawa. So there's always going to be this kind of tension. Whenever you have an ideological party like that, there's always going to be sort of a, a rift between the true ideologues and the kind of pragmatists, and I think that's what we're seeing here. Now, here we uh, interesting segue because you talked very briefly about ideological differences between two parties of the same stripe. We're talking about British Columbia and Alberta disagreeing over resources and pipelines, and uh, it's uh, it's a rocky disagreement. It's not fun at all. And uh, of course, at the same time, you have a federal NDP. They have a leader who doesn't have a seat in the house, doesn't appear to want one particularly in any kind of hurry. And so what's going on federally with the NDP, with given the schism within its ranks at the provincial level? Yeah, well, again, the, the NDP is another example of, of, of what is an ideological party that has that split between the ideologues and the pragmatists. I think, I think what the NDP decided to do when they elected Jagmeet Singh as their leader was to say, we're going we're gonna to kind of put ideology aside because that's kind of the divisive issue. And we're going to try to out Trudeau Trudeau with our own kind of charismatic star. Right. And, and Singh certainly looks like a charismatic star. And I would say if he could run as an 8x10 glossy photograph, he'd probably do really well. Um, but when you actually see him in action, he's kind of a disappointment. He's kind of dull, right? He doesn't really have that Trudeau zing to him. So I'm not sure the NDP really is playing the right strategy here. Um, I think... <laughs> Their strategy should be more of an ideological one. Um, Trudeau is a left-winger. I would say Trudeau is, is left-wing enough to be trendy, but not so left-wing as to be scary. He's always kind of, he can hang out with millionaires and Bay Street people just fine. So I think if the NDP want to go after him, they have to say, look, we're the true left-wingers. And I think they have to move even further to the left than they are right now. Instead of trying to out-cute Trudeau, I think they should try to out-left Trudeau. Okay, and uh, how important is it to have a seat? Why isn't Mr. Singh, there have been opportunities for by-elections, why hasn't he seized? There was one in Scarborough, right next to where he grew up in Toronto. Uh, he, he took a pass on an opportunity to be in, in Parliament. What's that about? Well, you know, Sterling, I don't think having a seat in the House of Commons is as important now as it once was, because a lot of the action now takes place outside of Ottawa. I mean, this is, this is Justin Trudeau's bit, right? 
he performs much better outside the House of Commons, usually, not, not of late, but usually um, than he does in the House of Commons, where he has to sort of you know, go by the various rules and regulations right. of parliamentary debate. And I think if you're looking at it from Singh's perspective, it probably makes more sense for him to be outside the House of Commons so that he has more freedom to travel around the country and give speeches and sort of build up the party. Because I think he has a lot of work to do to build up this party at a grassroots level. And I think he has a lot of work to do just to kind of introduce himself to Canadians. So I think from, in terms of a strategic position, he might be doing the right thing. All right, jerrynichols.com, friends. Jerry with a G, Nichols with two L's. Very interesting website. Always a pleasure to have you on the radio, Mr. Nichols. Thank you for this. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.